again. But um, I was asked to preach some time ago, um, and um, also uh, a few months ago, I was going to share my uh, testimony, and then that kind of got put back, um, which is fine. So uh, usually... um, when I get asked to preach, I, uh, you know, start thinking. It's not something that I, I do a lot. But um, what shall I do? What shall I, what shall I preach on? And, and what scriptures shall I use? And what's needed? And what's wanted? And what do I feel comfortable with? And uh, this, that, and the other. Most of you know, I'm not the most academic of people. I'm not really a, a, an intellectual. But... Um, I was going to do something on faith. I thought, you know, that's always a great topic, you know. And it is an area where I'm often sadly lacking. And so it kind of helps to convict me as well. But uh, this strange thing happened. And these things don't happen to me very often. Um, so I was getting ready. And I was, all I needed to do, this sermon was kind of in my head. I just needed to write it all down so I don't forget anything. And then on um, Friday night... Uh, went off to bed and I, uh, I'm one of the, I'm a dreamer I, I have dreams and some of them are nice some of them not so nice but I have nightmares sometimes some will say I'm in bed and my legs are doing this so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm running away from somebody and that's common you know I, I have the most vivid dreams and I can remember them as well most of the time and um you know, there's those dreams. This might be common. You know, everyone had a dream. We're trying to dial a number, and you cannot press the right buttons. Anybody ever had that dream? Frustration dream. Hands up, please. Not just me. Come on. Help me out. <laughs> Losing the car. Parking the car. Can't find the car. Or driving the car, and you put the accelerator down, and nothing happens. And you're going at like. Anyone else have that dream? Blimey. Is there a psychiatrist in the house? What's the other one? Oh yeah, trying to find a room in a big house. Wandering around the house, can't find a room. No? Oh, Nazarene! Thank you. It's not just me. Maybe, you, you probably all have them, you just don't remember them. But anyway, back to, back to the sermon. On, I woke up uh, in the early hours of Saturday morning, and, and it was going round in my head. The scripture that, sa- that says, um, at just the right time. I even told Sybil, I said, Sybil, this is rattling round in my head. Um, you know, I'm not one uh, for getting premonition, premonitions or being prompted. But I thought, you know, this just keeps echoing round. And Sybil's the one who gets... These feelings, usually not me. I think the most vivid one was many, many years ago when Sybil's younger brother, Tony, who, um, uh, some of you will remember Tony, he, he, uh, he went into hospital when he was a little boy and he got polio in hospital. And from that time on he had a, a weak leg and he used to walk on, on crutches. But he was fiercely independent. And he went off and he had a career in music and travelled around Spain and he backed people like Joe Cocker and did all sorts of stuff and had quite a successful career but you wouldn't see him for years on end I mean he would just turn up up, I'm back, where have you been? oh never mind, I'm back you know, and he would turn up, have some food you know, catch a bed for the night and, you know, but he was a bit of a free spirit and then 
We hadn't seen him for probably a couple of years. He'd, moved, he'd, gone, he'd gone and lived in London. And Sybil said, I must ring Tony. I said, why? She said, I don't know. So I've got to ring him. And she picked up the phone and dialed his number. And he had a, he had a flat. And she heard like a gurgling sound at the end of the phone. And then a thud, and the phone went dead. She said, something's wrong. Something's wrong with Tony. I said, what do you mean? She said, I've just heard him. It sounded like he couldn't breathe. And what had happened was, due to the polio, his kidneys were underdeveloped. And his kidneys had failed. And he didn't realise, he was in his room, basically filling up with fluid. And what happened was, because he fell on the floor, he was a big lad, and made such a thud... The people downstairs came up to find out what was wrong. And they found him, called the ambulance. Meanwhile, Sybil called the police and said, there's something wrong with my brother. He said, well, where is he? He said, he's in London. And it was like, it was all very surreal. But, and they got him to hospital and dialysed him and basically saved his life. And Sybil said, why did I ring him? She said, something must have prompted me. So it was something that happens to Sybil, but doesn't always happen to me. But if we just turn... To this passage in, in Romans 5. So what I decided was I'm going to sort of do my testimony today. Because this thing just, as I say, I felt prompted. And I don't usually get these. So I think if God's talking, I better listen. Just in case. So I've, I've changed things around a bit. I won't be preaching about faith. I'm really going to kind of give you a bit of an abbreviated version of, of my testimony. I know, sorry Andrew, I didn't realise this was all going to kind of conflict. You did a great job by the way. Fantastic. You know. And as we are similar ages, you know. <laughs> quite close together. We could have been separated at birth. But you know what I mean? See... I'm looking at the wrong guy, I haven't put my glasses, I'm looking there, Andrew's there, look, there you go. <laughs> I told you. Anyway, in Romans 5 in verse 1 it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given. You see, at just the right time, this was the thing that just kept going round in my mind, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I think this thing about at just the right time is, is so important. Um, it's been... Uh, I've been a disciple now for almost 25 years and um, I still can't believe it sometimes. For 37 years God never really featured in my life at all. I, uh, I, I sort of had no real awareness of God or wasn't interested at all. No, no one in my family uh, was a churchgoer. You know, we would go to uh, funerals, uh, weddings, christenings, and that was as far as it went. I think I went to Sunday school maybe 
a handful of times as a child. I think mom sent me there more to get me out from under her feet rather than, you know, for any uh, spiritual reasons. Um, but I do want to briefly share how God c- came into my life, you know, uh, 25 years ago. Um, some of you know this story. I'm really, if you fall asleep, it's fine, because I know you've, you've maybe heard it before. But Sybil and I, we were living together. We weren't married. And we had uh, two small children together, Rachel and David, who were the twins. They were around 18 months old. And I had uh, two children from a previous marriage, Richard and Matthew. And Sybil had a son from a previous marriage, uh, another Richard. Uh, so we had uh, a black Richard and a white Richard. <laughs> they seemed to know which one we, when we called, but anyway, they were... But we had, th- we had three other children. So together we had quite a large family. Uh, Abigail wasn't with us at that time. We, we adopted Abigail uh, a little bit later. But, um, you know, our children, they were, they were relatively young. I think Sybil's Richard was eight, and, Matthew, and my Richard was slightly younger, and Matthew was six. Um, and then we had Rachel and David, who were the twins. Um, and we weren't doing great. Uh, that's the truth of it. You know, we'd both been through broken marriages, and we were together. We were very mistrustful of one another. Uh, we loved each other, but we were not, just not doing very well at all. Um, but what happened was, um, that's, that was the Christmas of 1989 and the new year. And we, we really went through a, a really rough patch where it came, came to the point where I was going to leave. And Sybil was basically helping me pack the suitcase. That's how <laughs> well we were doing. You think, I'm not joking. <laughs> the bags were packed. This is how close it was. Someone's there at the front door. The bus stops there. It was close to that. But what happened was, Sybil's two sisters had become disciples. And their story is amazing as well. Uh, Maria, uh, uh, one of her Sybil's sisters, was in a dreadful relationship. Uh, Not married, but abusive controlling, you know, you hear these stories about women who aren't allowed out of the house almost. I mean, and she became a disciple and she, she dropped this guy like a bad habit. And the family had been trying to get her away from him for six years. I honestly believe if Maria had stayed with him, she would have either ended up in intensive care or in the cemetery. I mean, this was a seriously unpleasant person that she was living with. And Jean, Sybil's other sister, had a lot of anger issues. She was very angry at the world, particularly at me. I don't know why, but we didn't get on at all. And then I met her after she'd become a disciple, and I could not believe the difference in this woman. And she was so nice to me, I thought she was on drugs. I thought she'd taken something. I think in those days, I think Tammy probably knew Jean in London, I think, where she, uh, she got uh, baptised down in London. And that had some even, something of an impact on me, but the, the, the big impact was on Sybil. And the next thing I know, Sybil's going to church. I know she'd gone to church, and I thought, well, that's fine. Off you go, darling. Have fun. <laughs> and um, and, and that, that was that. That was that. I would stay at home. And uh, Sybil said, oh, I'm going to a a Bible discussion. I'm going to study the Bible. I was like, okay, see ya. What's on TV? Oh, anyway, Sybil goes off. Then uh, 
Then one day, Sybil said, um, can you come to church this Sunday and give me a hand with the twins? If if you like. You know, I honestly didn't know what to expect. So I'd not been to many churches. And usually, you know, I'd go there, sit at the back, somebody would mumble a bit and sing a few songs, and I'd leave, and that would be it, you know. So I went along to church. And... um, I thought, well, okay, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But our, uh, our relationship was still struggling. We had a wedding date set. And Sybil was saying things like, do you think it's right that we should be living together when we're not married? And I'm like, well, we've been doing it for the last two years, so <laughs> what's the problem all of a sudden? So obviously she was getting some conviction from somewhere. Um, I didn't know what she was actually studying in the Bible. But, um, as I said, it was, it was doing things at just the right time. So I went along to church. And one of the first people I met at church was Scott, Scott and Claire. And the, the Danets were leading the church at that time. And Scott sort of invited himself around to look at the Bible. <laughs> Made it sound like I'd invited him, but really, sometimes... You have to push the envelope a little bit, you know. But he'd spoken to Sybil, and Sybil said, no, no, he said, well, you know, Roger, he, won't, he probably won't be rude to you. <laughs> but then, Scotty, I found out he played golf, and I, and I found out he was actually quite a good golfer, and I was a dreadful golfer, but I did enjoy it. But, so he came round, and then we started uh, studying the Bible. And a very famous passage, but just flip there. Um, I'm sure you've read it before. But it is John 3, and it begins in verse 16. And in John 3:16, I mean, obviously the most famous passage in the Bible, probably. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned. And I thought about, you know, the the light of the world, about Jesus being the light of the world. I know people have shared about the eclipse. You know, what a dark world it would be if we lived in a permanent eclipse. You know, it's all very novel for an hour. (laughs) The sun disappears. But you think about this world if Jesus hadn't been the light, if he hadn't come to this world, what a different world it would have been. Almost like living in a permanent eclipse. You know, we wouldn't, certainly wouldn't have the lives that we have and the impact that Jesus has had on the world. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, that, that darkness, if that was permanent, that would be a, a, a really sad event. But I was studying the Bible, and then um, I remember one of the, I, I, can, I can't go through, I'm, I'm, this isn't a Bible stu- of all the scriptures that I looked at, I've just selected a few that had some impact on me at the time, and still have impact. But just flick over to, to Hebrews. Hebrews 4. Uh, most of you will know these passages, but Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. And it reads, for the word of God is living and active, 
Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I didn't really understand this verse when I first read it. As I say, I was going through these a number of studies, looking at a number of scriptures. These are just the ones that stood out, but I thought... The Bible, living and active. And, well, you know, this book was written 2,000 plus years ago, you know. I don't really see the relevance. This was, remember, I don't come from a religious background at all. To me, the Bible wasn't a holy book. It was a book. Let's have a read. It was not Stephen King, but I'll read it. That was kind of my attitude. But then, uh, I thought about... The end of the passage being answerable to a higher power. I thought, don't like the sound of that very much. That didn't really sit very well with me, I thought. and Because I was slowly getting conviction, you know, I'd looked at the Word of God and where the Bible... It was starting to... The jigsaw was starting to fall into place. And kind of secretly and sneakily, I was beginning to think... Well, maybe there is a God. Maybe there was a Jesus. Maybe he did die. You know, all these things were starting to click together. And, and, and my life, I found myself sort of in mental, a bit of a mental turmoil. You know, it's hard to believe, but occasionally I, I do think about things fairly deeply. Uh, but I was encouraged to read the Gospel of Mark. I think it was Scotty who said, you know, he said, start with Mark, it's easy. So obviously... <laughs> Didn't want to give me anything too complicated to start with. So he said, it's, it's one of the shorter books in the Bible, and it's, it is fairly straightforward. But anything that you, you read and you don't understand, highlight and we can talk about it, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure all these things out. You know, we can, we, we, we can work through them. So I said, okay, fine, I'll, uh, I'll start reading the book of Mark. Turn to Mark. <laughs> in uh, chapter 7, please. In chapter 7, and I'll begin in uh, verse 6. And this, this was one of the passages that really had an impact on me. And this is Jesus talking. Mark 7, 6. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips... But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And then he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses father and mother must be put to death. But you say... That if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify, nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean. 
by going into him rather it is what that comes out of a man that makes him unclean after he left the crowd and entered the house his disciple asked him about this parable are you so dull he asked don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean for he doesn't go into his heart but into his stomach and then out of his body in saying this jesus declared all foods clean he went on what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean for from within out of men's hearts come evil thoughts sexual immorality theft murder adultery greed malice deceit lewdness envy slander arrogance and folly all these evils come from inside and make a man unclean this whole passage affected me in two ways number one was the hypocrisy that jesus talked about when i looked at the religious world being non-religious all i ever saw was hypocrisy only because i i only saw a certain part i didn't see everything but i would say oh look you know uh, all down the centuries the catholics have murdered the protestants and the protestants have murdered the catholics and then there's this faction hates this faction and then you see these people who go to church and then they go to the pub and get drunk and all religions the same that was my attitude and all i saw was hypocrisy and i was very critical and very cynical about organized religion so this kind of impacted me but it also showed me that jesus he didn't like that either he didn't the the hypocrisy he he was against and i thought wow we've got something in common um but then the second part of this was where the real challenge came when i read and it says from from within out of men's hearts it says come evil thoughts sexual immorality theft murder adultery greed malice deceit lewdness envy slander arrogance and folly and i read through this list and i was trying to find one that i'd not done and evil thoughts i had plenty of those sexual immorality yes regularly theft I'd fiddled and diddled and I wasn't one for, you know, I wouldn't go mug any, but I'd, you know, if I, if I had an opportunity, put some, if I saw something, I'd, I'll, that, that'll do. Uh, murder. This was the one, I'll put that to one side. I thought, nah, I've, see, not that bad, am I? I've, I haven't done that one. Adultery, yes. Greed, I was greedy. I was malicious. I was deceitful. I'd been lewd. I'd been all those things. Uh, I'd been envious, I'd been slanderous, I'd been arrogant, folly, I'd done plenty of stupid things. But you know, I thought, you know what, but I haven't done murder. But here's the thing, and I really struggled with this one. In my early 20s, within a period of about 10 weeks, I'd paid for two abortions with two different women. And and uh, I'm, I'm not here condemning anyone trust me but this is for me but the reason i did it was it was inconvenient to have a child it would have had a financial cost and an emotional cost and i didn't want it i wanted my life the way i wanted it and it would have been a real inconvenience and i gave it no thought it didn't bother me one jot 
Now I think any woman that's gone through that herself will have done it and would have been bothered. And probably, bothered with it probably all their lives. But I didn't care. And I think that's the, the worst sin in many ways. I did what I did because it suited me at the time and it cost me each abortion 60 quid. And now I see my own children that I've had since then. And I look at them, they'll look at my grandchildren, I think. You know, I could have got rid of you for 60 quid. So it's... I went through... This was a challenging passage. But I went on. But I was thinking, there's me condemning all the hypocrites. I'm the good guy. Look at me. I'm I'm wonderful. And then I read this. To say I got a bit down is probably an understatement. Um, Not only that, I thought, well, that's me in church done. Nobody's going to want to talk to me when they find out about this. All the people that I've befriended in the church, they're all going to turn their back on me when they know what I'm really like. When they know what goes on under the surface. Roger's alright, he's always got a joke. But what about the guy who spent 120 quid to get rid of two inconvenient children? And I thought, what Sybil? Sybil's not even going to want to marry me. Got the, the wedding's planned. It's all going to end. This, everything was falling apart. And verse 20 to 23, they just wouldn't go away. I'd never really prayed. I didn't know what to do. So I thought I'd better go and talk to Scott and Tim and, uh, and find out what, what I need to do. I felt cheated. I thought, you know, they've held a mirror up to my face and they've said, there you are. That's what you look like. And no answers. Just me staring back. And me who I didn't really like very much. Yet they gave me the answers. Just turn to to Peter. To Peter chapter 3. And verse 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And I thought, God doesn't want me to perish. You know, where, you know, inside I thought, if God's got anything about him, he's just going to smite me now and have done with me, you know, turn me into a pile of dust, you know, or like Lot's wife, you know, a pillar of salt. But he he, he doesn't want me to perish. And it was kind of a, a relief as well. And then I thought, well, what's this repentance thing? This is going to be painful. I thought, to wipe out those sins, this is going to really, really cost. And then just, uh, again, a very popular passage, but just turn to Acts. Acts 2.36. And this did help me. Uh, 
Acts 2, he said, and this is Peter when he stands up uh, not long after Jesus has been crucified. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call these people who crucified Jesus and I thought well why did Jesus have to die for their sins and then I thought and for my sins I was getting down here I had a, I had a period of going quite up and quite down quite a lot as you can imagine there was thinking okay this is good and then I'm thinking oh, I'm, I'm a wretch I've, I've done some dreadful things but I don't think that was an unhealthy thing I think to be aware of yourself isn't such a bad thing. Because it's not a, but it's not a state that you can stay in permanently down on yourself. It's not healthy. It's not good for us as human beings. But in the final scripture, and this, and this did, uh, did cut me also, but it was important, and, it's, and it was about the crucifixion, and in Luke 23. And it's quite a long one, so I'll put me, I'll put me readers on for this one. Luke 23, beginning in verse 26. And it was understanding that what Jesus went through so that I could have a new life. He says, as they led him away, they see Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fallen us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two of the men, both criminals, were, led, uh, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar, and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is just before Jesus dies. The thief on the cross, that was me. That's really how I see myself. You know, at just the right time, Jesus was there. Absolutely perfect timing. But I had to understand this thing about, obviously, repentance and baptism, and, this, and repentance. 
I thought, well, repentance seems a small price to pay. To accept Jesus as my saviour seemed a small price to pay. To live a new life seemed a small price to pay. To be baptised and have all my sins forgiven. But then I realised, I'm not really paying any price. Not really. I'm just being given a gift. I'm just being, being offered an opportunity to be saved. To have all those sins forgiven. Washed away. I think that's why I can talk about them now. I'm remorseful still about the things that I've done in my past. But you know what? I can't do anything about it now. It was a long time and I can't, I can't change the past. You can do your best to heal old wounds that you may have caused with other people. But you, you can't always change what's done. What's done is done. Those abortions, it's done. I can't do anything about it. You know, some of the uh, people I hurt in the past, I don't know where they are, but I'm sorry for the actions that I that did. Most of it was just me being selfish. And I can't really do much about that. What I can do, though, is just try and, and live the best life as a disciple as I can. And I want to thank the people who've been with me. I know it's like, it sounds like X Factor. On my journey. I've been on a journey. I have the voice. It's been a journey. Sounds so corny. You know, a journey doesn't last a fortnight. A, jo- a quarter of a century is a journey. You know, but I, I, just, I, I just want to say... You know, those that have been on this journey with me, for most of it anyway, a big thank you. Uh, You know, thank you for the love that I've been shown, and the compassion, and the kindness, and the understanding, and the forgiveness, and all those things. Because I'm sure I've done a lot of bozo things in the last quarter of a century. But you know, the thing for me was that God reached out his hand and offered me a new life at just the right time. It was... In some ways, I guess it was perfect timing. If it had come earlier, it may never have happened. If it had been later, it may never have happened. I needed a bit like the fruit, really. You needed to be ripe. You know, you don't want to have fell off the tree and you don't want to be sour. You want to be at just the right time. And I do understand the grace and mercy and the forgiveness uh, that God's shown me. I really do understand it. And I understand that Jesus paid the price in full for my debt. And I understand that. You know, and Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, I am the worst of sinners. He may well have been, but I ran him a close second. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come before you in humility, Lord. You are everything. You're the one who rescued all of us at just the right time. And we thank you for that. And we know that you will continue to rescue people. As it says in the book of Peter, you want no one uh, to perish. That you want all of us to come to repentance and to accept your son as as their saviour. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for rescuing me a quarter of a century ago, Father. And thank you for the last 25 years that you've given me. More than that, you've given me hope of eternity. And I thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen.